we we have a great service for you today and uh, i know that the announcement said that this week we're starting uh the series stuck and on the screen it said january 10 uh but this sunday today uh we have a very special guest speaker uh pastor chris owen he's going to come he's going to share the word with us and he's a, a dear friend of mine great mentor and uh, i look up to him a lot so if you could just give him a warm round of applause chris owen Hey, good morning. How are you? How you uh, recovered from all of the unnecessary food that you ate over the holidays? Hey, let's go ahead and mix it up. Can we turn the lights on? I've spent enough time of my life in front of someone interrogating me. No, that's none of your business. Did I do any jail time? No. Uh, but, but this feeling, I want to be able to see people's face. So if there's any way that we could turn some overhead lights on in just a second. Uh, but yeah, I don't know about you, but the, the last meal, oh my goodness, there it is. The dude on the back row just woke up. He's a little ticked off. This was nap time. Sorry, bro. It's my bad. Um, listen, the last meal that we had with our family, it, uh, it, was, it was almost like a hot potato. You remember that old game here? You take it, you take it. Uh, my mother-in-law was trying to, she had a, a grocery bag for me. We were going to leave. We were talking about, you know, New Year and trying to drop the 20 pounds we just picked up. And I looked and said, what's in the bag? She goes, oh, it, it's all this stuff. I, I don't want it. You take it. And I look in there, and it's like a starter kid for a fat dude, you know? I'm like, what did you put in the bag? It's all these cookies and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, you take it. No, you take it. So when you come off of the holidays, we typically tend to carry with us an extra 10 to 15 pounds that we didn't want. Uh, but you know what? I love these services. Uh, for those of you that we may not have the privilege to have met, my name is Chris Owen. I have been married to my wife, Molly, who is here this morning uh, with, uh, with my family for 21 years. Uh, we've got two children. I know I don't look old enough, but my son was, is a freshman at Southeastern University. Uh, my daughter is a senior at George Jenkins. Uh, I have the privilege of serving on the executive leadership team at Southeastern University, a.k.a. my dream job. Uh, we are having the time of our life. And so just a little bit about me before we kind of dive into God's word. A couple of things you need to know. I love the new year. I love January 1, January 2, January 3, because I just feel like it's a natural time in your life to start something new. It's like this set thing that everybody says, okay, resolutions. How many of you just quit making resolutions because you never kept them? Oh, stop. Come on. Pick it back up today with me, right? Listen, I, here's, my, here's, my, here's my principle. If I, if I set 25 goals, but I only hit 10, you know, that's better than setting no goals and hitting none, right? And so if you don't hit them all, it's okay. My prayer for you this morning is that you would actually leave here with a couple of resolutions, a couple of things in your mind that you'd say, you know what, this year I'm going to start something new. Because I think, man, look at your life. I love this idea of the concept of the, of the new series that Jeff's going to be preaching on, uh, on Stuck, is the fact that if you're not careful, life will take over for you. Life begins to make the decisions for you of when you get up in the morning, when you go to work, what you're doing at night, when you pay your taxes. And the next thing you know, maybe you've been like I am and you get to a place where you feel like, do I have a choice anymore in this life? I feel like life is driving me instead of me pursuing life. And so I started to reflect over this last year. And you know you've been out of church a while when the usher at the door shakes your hand and goes, hey, are you back or is this part time? That was me last week, and I'm a good friend of him, and I've been on the road. This is my home church, and some of you are going, wow, I've never seen you before, right? 
I, I've been on the road for my work more than ever before in my life. 2015 had me traveling all over, coast to coast, back to back. And then to add on to my crazy fall schedule, uh, we launched a new athletic program, which I oversee at the university, uh, wrestling this year. Now, those of you who know me know my son happens to be a wrestler. Uh, he happens to be the wrestler that right now is 23 and 2 and ranked nationally in the NAI. But who's, a, who's, a, who, you know, who's bragging about that? It's just me, right? And so the problem with that was uh, the NAI, I don't know what their, their, their division, I don't know what their problem is. Like the first four tournaments of his college career were on Sundays. And so I, you know, my father, I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal. My dad's a preacher. So, you know, I didn't tell him that I was skipping church to go to a wrestling tournament. He would have stopped and prayed for me and said, son, you're on your way to hell. You need to repent right now. Uh, but I wasn't going to miss those tournaments. So I haven't been here. But, you know, I learned something on all of this travel. Have you ever traveled with someone who, when you went to the airport for a two-day trip, they had four bags? You ever been there? You ever been with that person, right? And so when I first started all this travel, I didn't really know what to expect. And so I start out with this massive suitcase. I'm only 5'8". It's like three quarters of my size, right? Full to the brim of stuff. I don't know what I need. I just figured I'd throw everything I could fit in there, right? And then I'm going, so then you have to check the bag. So then that takes more time. And then when you land, you have to wait. You ever been there? And it's like a hundred people looking for the little red dot and waiting for the siren to start blinking so you can elbow your way to the front and get your bag first, right? And so all of this stuff, uh, I, I just, I got there and I ended up, I've got this massive bag, nine pair of pants, four sweaters, three ties, a jacket, and about six pair of shoes. I'm a shoe guy, leave me alone. And I go to my first trip of the year, and, and what I ended up wearing was the same pair of pants that I flew on the pain, the, the same shoes, and a change of shirt, change of underwear, and that was it, right? And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to pick up some tips on how to pack and what I need to do. And so now, here I am six months later. I will tell you that I am a seasoned traveler. That if you travel with me as my in-laws did yesterday, you will realize that life is about efficiency in airports. Go with me to Tampa. Why? Tampa's a better airport. Never go to Orlando. The wait is far, far more. Go to Tampa, park in short-term parking, level seven, blue side, because you fly Delta. You got to have the points. And you can park always right beside the elevator. Don't check a bag. You don't need it. Be smart with your packing. Go down to level three. Get off gate E. It's where you know you're going to go. You've done TSA pre-check, so you don't have to stand in line with all of the other people. Take your shoes off and your belt. You can just walk right through, and then you, there you are. So from the time I get to the airport now to the time I'm at the gate ready to get on the plane, we're talking a cool 15 minutes. Can you say amen? Some of you are going, dude, are you going to talk about Jesus today, or is this about travel? <laughs> Relax. I'm getting there, okay? And so this whole, I mean, I'm just, my mother-in-law's like, will you please slow down? I can't jog fast enough to keep up with you in the airport. I'm like, this is about being first. If you're not first, you're last. If you didn't get that analogy, I can't help you with your movie choices. And so when I look at this, and I realized all that time I was carrying all this luggage I didn't need. I'm wasting time, and it was draining energy. And I'm thinking, man, why didn't I think of this earlier? And I think about that with you and I as followers of Christ and the new year. Man, how much extra baggage do we pack for a daily journey with God that we don't need? How much stuff are you and I hauling around emotionally and spiritually and, and in our mindset of, of attitudes and ideas that, that really are inconsistent with God? You're carrying around baggage that you don't need. 
And so my message for us this morning is going to have to do with, with a new start in the new year. I'm going to just lean into this whole New Year resolution, and we're going to be taking a look at John 10. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go there. And we're going to flip back and forth between John 10 and Psalm 23. And here's what I want to challenge you with. If you have been, as, as Pastor Jeff, we'll call this the preface to his new series. If you've been stuck in a rut, if you had a bad 2015, if you learned some lessons, man, maybe what you and I need to do today is to lean in and have a fresh vision for 2016. What if you and I just said, you know what, I'm hitting the reset button and I'm going to take 2016 and I'm going to be different than I was in 2015. Well, the realist in the room goes, well, Chris, that's a great, that's a fun little pep talk. How do you plan to do that? You're just going to all of a sudden hit reset and your bills go away? You're going to hit reset and all of a sudden you don't have to go to work at the same time and work with those annoying people, Right? You're also going to hit reset and your marriage is going to be restored. You're going to stop fighting and you're going to not worry anymore. No, 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 no. No, here's the big idea that I'm going to unpack for us today. It's the one idea that everything else I'm going to talk about is going to point to this. And here it is. A full life begins with a fresh vision of Jesus. You and I, any season of our life, could all honestly say, I've lived less than what God wants me to live that I have settled for a life filled with worry and anxiety and trouble and, and, and all of this stuff. And God doesn't want you to carry that around anymore. In fact, the book of John, let's go ahead and get into the scripture. I'll give you the passage. It's on, it's on the screen this morning. Uh, and, and it basically says this. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Would you say that last word with me? Full. Say it one more time. Full. Now, let's unpack this because I'm going to go to this little scripture. Let's back up. In the book of John, the whole theme throughout it is simply this. Jesus is walking around from different festivals to festivals explaining to people who he is. In fact, if you go and look in the book of John or you Google it while we're here right now, just go if you've got your phone because I love this. I'm a multitasker. Google on your phone, uh, I am statements book of John and see what pops up for you. Because you're going to see this list of statements that Jesus drops throughout the book of John. And he says this, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Oh, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, I'll remain in you, right? And you'll bear much fruit. Oh, I am the gate, right? This is one of those I am statements. And, and this imagery that he's using here, uh, there is no one in the room that can relate to it. How many of you know I love it when I pick a passage of scripture that's completely, the metaphor is completely irrelevant to everyone in the room, right? Let me, let me check my facts first. Uh, how many shepherds do we have in the room, please? Any, any sheep, sheep farmers? Anybody? Anybody? No, right? Okay, sorry. The only problem with this is, is that one of the greatest metaphors in all of scripture to reveal the person and work of Jesus Christ is that of a shepherd. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, leaders of the nation of Israel are referred to as shepherds. And they would actually be referred to as a good shepherd or, or a bad shepherd, depending on where they connected and doing God's will or not. And so when Jesus steps into this, he's at a festival right here, and he begins to teach. And I want to go back, and I just want to read, uh, 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 give you a little context for this scripture of what Jesus is saying to the crowd when he begins to reveal himself. So imagine... 
he walks out to the center of the cob during the holiday season where people are walking around celebrating and begins to teach. And here's what he's talking about. Now remember, in this day and age, shepherds were prevalent. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The, the story of Jesus' birth includes the shepherds tending the fields at night. This is a very, very relevant metaphor for their time. And I just want to read a little bit of it to you. And then what we're going to do is we're going to unpack what the enemy is trying to steal from you. And then we're going to talk about you and I creating a fresh vision of Jesus that will absolutely radically transform our life in 2016. Amen? Let's pray before we read. Father, thank you for your presence. And thank you for your word that's bigger than all of us. Lord, it's consistent. It never changes. Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in this moment today, Lord, we're not looking for entertainment. We're not looking. We're looking for an encounter with you. And so I pray as we read your word today, God, and we talk about who you are, you would stir our souls. That, Lord, that you would give us a fresh vision of who you are. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. I tell you the truth. This is verse 10, uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 of the book of John. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. If you have a pen or you highlighter, highlight that part, that portion. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought, uh, brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. And he goes on and he recognizes that they don't really understand what he's saying. So he goes, he said it again. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks and the flock scatters. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So let's talk about this for a second. Isn't it crazy? I had a friend of mine the other day was talking. Uh, they filed their taxes late, right? And I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're a late tax filer. It's none of our business. We don't care. But this is uh, back around October area, and, and uh, I, he came into work, and he said, hey, yeah. I said, yeah, did you get your, your taxes filed? You were talking about it? He goes, would you believe it? He said, we filled it all out and, and had everything ready to go, and they rejected it. I said, what do you mean? Why did they reject your, your, your tax filing? They said, we had already filed. I said, what? He goes, yeah, someone stole my wife's identity. Someone's already filed her tax return and now has received the check for it. How many of you know someone who has been a victim of, uh, of identity theft? 
I don't know if there's anything more annoying that you could do to a person in their world, right? Think about it. You're a banking account. Everything you have is tied to your identity, and it has now just been stolen from you. So you have no confidence of anywhere you go or anything you're doing that your card's going to work. You have to cancel all that. You have to do it all over again. This whole idea of stealing someone's identity is a major. Companies are spending billions of dollars now trying to protect people's private information. But the reality of it is, when John 10.10 and Jesus is talking about, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What I have found at age 44 is that the one thing that the enemy constantly tries to steal from me is my identity. See, the Bible says that the enemy is the accuser of your soul. That he's saying you're guilty, you're not good enough, you shouldn't do that because you know you have a past, right? And the enemy is constantly reminding us of the failures that we've had. Constantly reminding us and, and, and through culture putting inside of us that man, you are the center of your universe. You are the one who makes the choices for your life. You should be happy. You deserve that new car, even though you can't afford those payments. You deserve those new clothes, even though you have too many credit card bills already. Does that make sense? And the whole idea of the enemy attacking us is to pull us away from finding our identity in Christ. We gotta take a look at it. The devil says, man, you have a past. You're guilty. You don't deserve anything. Jesus says, I gave my life and I forgive all that you've done and I cast it in the sea of forgetfulness to remember it no more. You are new. Corinthians 5, 12 says, man, all of the old has passed away and all things are made new that Christ has reconciled us back to. How many of us live 2015 with a cloud of guilt over our head? How many times did we sit in church and someone move us and say, man, do something great with your life. And then the voice in the back of your head goes, you better not do that. You're not good enough. You're not talented enough. First Peter says, man, you have everything that you'll ever need to live a godly life. And yet the enemy says, no, you need to be a little better. You need to have more talent. You need to be better looking. You need to be more influential. Am I making sense to you this morning? And see, the whole idea of a vision for your life begins and ends with an identity. And if you allow someone else other than Christ to set your identity, what you're doing is you're saying, man, I'm not following Christ. I'm following this person. Your value has already been set. And I'll talk about this in a second. I believe the enemy tries to steal our identity as sons and daughters of Christ, as priests and kings of our home as men and women of divine destiny, filled with the Holy Spirit on this earth to proclaim the gospel for the sake of other people. I think that's what God has called us to do. To do anything else is to have an identity crisis. I think the enemy tries to kill our joy. Now, how many of you enjoy, how many, I grew up, my birthday's on the 23rd of December, right? People always ask me this question. In fact, I was born Lakeland Regional Center sent me home on Christmas Day, 1971, in a red stocking. I still have the stocking, right? In my, in my life as a, as a local church pastor, I was known as Pastor Christmas because I love Christmas more than anybody in the world, I think. I grew up with a mom who had OCD, some type of issue. We had four to five Christmas trees in our home every year. 
I had my own personal Christmas tree. I'd walk out of my room in the morning. There's my personal Christmas tree with an ornament from every year of my life that, you know, I lived in the home with my mom. You're like, dude, you need therapy. No, leave me alone. I like this life, right? People always ask me the question, oh, man, don't you hate December 23rd? Oh, man, you didn't get any gifts, did you? You got, you got hosed, right? Are you kidding me? I'm the baby in the family. I double stacked. Oh, no, I hit it big on the 23rd, and two days later, hit it big again. Now, I don't know. You know my father-in-law, who is here, Dr. Hackett, right? He's born on the 25th. I don't know what to tell you about that one, other than the fact we all say he's the most like Jesus of anybody we know. It makes sense he was born on the 25th. Okay. And my wife, well, she's born on December 20, uh, 31st, New Year's Eve baby. This year was the year that Clemson Tigers defeated the Oklahoma Sooners. If you don't know anything about me, Georgia Bulldogs are not God's team. Clemson Tigers are. If that's heresy, your pastor will come back next week and set you straight. But all I know is we're going to the national tournament. I've got tickets, and I'll be in Phoenix praying and believing for a miracle against Alabama. Come on. Come on. Don't you know it? They don't need to win. They'll roll tide. Hey, there's an altar right over here to the side. Let's pray together. I told you we're going to have fun today. The enemy tries to steal your joy. And see, what I learned early on in life as a little kid, I wanted the presence. But when I started having kids of my own, I realized it is better to give than to receive. There's more joy in watching the look on someone else's face, opening something that they wanted. I mean, there's something that happens in the Christian walk when you realize life isn't about you. And there's a joy in giving. There's a joy in serving. And when the enemy comes in to rob us, I think he hits our finances I think he gets us strapped down to a place that we can't be generous, that we can't give the way God's called us to give. And I just think, man, what would happen if we ordered our lives in such a way that we always kept available the generosity that God wants us to give? Does that make sense? Man, he wants to steal your identity. He wants to kill your joy. And he wants to destroy your hope. Now listen, Football's fun and Christmas talk is one thing. But I know in a room this size, some of you couldn't wait to get out of 2015. You couldn't see a way out. Your life was devastated by loss, divorce, brokenness, job. I don't know what it is, but God knows exactly what it is. And the enemy leaves you in a place and he says this to you. There is no hope. All is lost. You're just stuck in this life. How bad is it for you? And Christ says, man, there's nothing impossible with me. I can restore your life. I can heal your marriage. I can bring you to a place of health and goodness. I think what we need is a new vision of who Jesus is. And I think you have to have it on a regular basis. And so let's look at John 10, 10 and Psalm 23. And I just want to give you two or three, actually it's four. I want to give you four areas that I think are a new vision, a fresh vision of Jesus. Here's what I think happens. Man, vision determines the course of your life. If you come into 2016 going, well, let's just hit 15 on repeat and 16 is going to be more of the same, you're probably going to have more of the same. But if you come into 16 and go, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reset my mind and I'm going to look towards who Jesus really is and I'm going to live my faith more aggressively than I have ever lived it before. I promise you, you will live a different life. 
And when you have a vision of who Jesus is, it brings clarity in your mind. So the first thing, there are four things, four, uh, a fresh vision of Jesus. Here it is. The first, Jesus as the leader of your home. The whole idea in John 10, 10, it says that when he goes out, his sheep, right? He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. They follow him because they recognize his voice. The idea that Jesus is the leader of your life. You're like, Chris, that's not rocket science. Yeah, but how often when we make life-changing decisions do we never ever consult scripture or God or godly wisdom? We simply go, this is what I think is best. And I think the most dangerous thing that you can do, the most dangerous thing I can do as a father is go, I am the head of my home. No, Christ is the head of my home, right? He's ordained me as the father and my wife as my partner and we make decisions together based upon our faith in who Jesus is. I mean, there's something radical that takes place. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one. He leads me beside still waters. This whole concept of what you need in your life, God can lead you there. Think about this imagery. Jesus goes on to paint it. He goes, when the robbers come in, they jump over the back fence and they drive the sheep out with panic and fear. How many decisions in your life have you made out of panic and fear and anxiety and worry? Jesus doesn't operate in anxiety and worry and fear. Scripture gives a picture that he stands out front and you recognize his voice because it's the voice of love. It's the voice of reason. It's the voice of hope. It's the voice of scripture. And you go, no, that's the way I'm going to go. I'm going to follow my leader. Man, this year, if you want to experience God like never before, have a fresh vision of Jesus as the leader of your home. Have you ever thought about sitting at the kitchen table and having conversation with your wife or as a college student having conversation with your parents or your friends about man I wonder what God wants for me this year how am I gonna man I'm gonna read scripture this year with a different mindset that God is leading me and directing my path does that make sense and so often we read scripture for information rather than relationship what if we read scripture to familiarize ourselves with the voice of the good shepherd, that in the busyness of life, all he'd have to do is go, hey, come this way, follow me. Vision of Jesus as leader, for me, takes the pressure off to having to be right all the time. There's something about knowing that I can go to God in prayer and believe I'll receive an answer, that God will guide me and direct me. Man, it takes the pressure off of you. You're not living in worry and fear. You're living in confidence. Jesus, as the leader of your family. Let's take a look at the second vision, right? At Jesus as the provider of your needs. The image of the sheep living in a dangerous place. So he, he paints this picture. They're in Palestine, a place of dryness, and the place of water is scarce, and the source is scarce. And Jesus is talking about this metaphor, and he says this. He says, they come in and go out, and they find pasture. Take a look if you've got your scripture. Turn over to Psalm 23. One of the most recognized passages looking at this metaphor of God is our shepherd. I'm just going to read through it for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Anybody got a problem with the work ethic of this generation? People nodding their heads. Except for the people of this generation like, no, dog, I'm working hard. What's wrong with you? Don't be hating on me in church. You know, my, my grandfather and father said the same thing about my generation. But there's something about it that's been instilled in me. Man, my, my grandfather was a, a second-generation mill worker, worked double shifts all the time. I, I mean, blue collar is in my blood. It's in my family. It's who we are. We get up. We go to church. We go to work. This is what you do. And the, that's a great thing to have, right? I mean, you know how to put in a solid day's work. My, my wife and I, we started in ministry. I had to work three separate jobs to pay for my ministry habit because uh, they couldn't afford me, but we knew that God had led us to that church and, and we weren't going to leave because of a paycheck. And my wife and I made a decision a long time ago. We would not allow finances to run the decisions of our life. We would look to God and go, okay, God, what is it that you've called us to do? Because when he calls you, he'll provide for you. When he calls you, he'll sustain you. But at the same time, uh, I, I, don't, I don't sit around. So I did ministry, youth ministry, worship ministry, and then I laid tile. Uh, I painted banks from midnight to 6 a.m., and then I poured concrete uh, on the weekends. And, and, man, you want to draw a marriage together? Teach your wife how to pour concrete with you. Uh, and here's what, it, here's what it provided in us. My, my wife would look at me. She goes, you know what I love about you is that no matter what happens, I know you can leave the house in the morning and come home with a paycheck. That you, you have a work ethic. Man, it made me feel proud as a man. Yeah, that's what I want. The problem with that attitude is when you go too far into it, then why do you need Jesus for anything? What does he provide other than a good feeling on a Sunday morning? Man, it's a dangerous spot to be. And I find myself regularly in this vision of wanting to excel in my craft. And I love what I'm doing right now. And I'm on a team that I've never been at this level before and and man we're the one of the top five now fastest growing private liberal arts christian universities in america we've doubled in size we're well over a hundred million dollar budget i mean i'm 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 at an altitude now i'm going jesus i never knew we were going to be here and i'm loving every minute of it but what i have learned is this the moment i think it's about talent and hard work i've missed god altogether you have to have it you'll never accomplish the will of god in your life without human effort but you'll never accomplish it without divine guidance i call it the divine dance when you learn to take your effort and lean into god's grace that's a full life that's a full life and when i begin to look at god as the source of my provision right and so that's the whole thing every job we've ever taken we thought we were going to plant a church before we came to southeastern university and had a launch team. We were ready to go. And someone grabbed my attention. He happened to be here this morning, Dr. Lyle Bowen. And I remember sitting in there. He goes, you're the guy I've been looking for. We've been waiting for nine months. You're the guy we want to come here and be the campus pastor and dean of students. And I looked right back at him and I said, man, you missed your opportunity. I've got a plan. I'm going somewhere else. And he goes, and I'll never forget this phrase. He looked at me and he goes, well, I can't tell you God's will for your life. 
but I can tell you that there's a door open and you ought to pray about it. My wife and I fasted and prayed for two weeks, got to the end of it. I said, babe, you got anything? She goes, nope. She goes, you have anything? I said, nope. What are we going to do? And then she looked at me, and this is what I love about a great partner in life. She goes, if we don't go to Southeastern in 10 years, are you going to wonder what if? And I didn't hesitate. I said, absolutely. She goes, pack your bags. We're moving to Lakeland. And that's how we made the decision to come, and it's, it's changed our life dramatically for the better. But we never worried about a paycheck. We never worried about those things because God will provide. When he calls you, he will sustain you. Man, the third vision, I think, a fresh look of who Jesus is, is that he is the protector of your life. He is the protector of your life. Psalm 23, verse 4 says this, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. John 10 11 through 13 paints what I think is one of the greatest pictures of who Jesus is. And here it is. He goes, I'm not a hired hand. I'm not some guy that doesn't have a vested interest. I, I am the one who owns the sheep. Because a hired hand's going to run when times get tough. How many of you have had friends that said, man, we're there for you. And then things get crazy and you look around and you're all by yourself. Man, Jesus says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's no shadow of turning in me that I am your protector and I will be there with you. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen in our life. I can't find that scripture anywhere where God says, you'll have an easy life. But he says, oh, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I got you. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. The last one is this, the vision of Jesus as healer psalm 23 2 and 3 he makes me lie down in green pastures he restores my soul i think about the parable that jesus told of leaving the 99 and going after the one the god we serve is a compassionate god he goes i didn't come for the healthy i came for the sick i don't know about you but i lost count of how many times i strayed away from god in my life there's a running joke in Greenville, South Carolina, First Assembly of God, that I had my own lane to the altar growing up. I would, I'd be afraid to go to hell. I'd answer an altar call, and then I'd go live like hell and come back the next week. And finally, one time, I guess it just stuck. Right? But I don't. maybe you're perfect. I just know I'm a knucklehead, and I have a tendency to drift off from the things of God. Every time I've drifted, he found me. No matter how far I ran, Hey, if you're in this room today and you've been running from God for a long time, hey, knucklehead, I'm talking to you. You're my people. Sir, you're too big, you're too prideful to follow Christ. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And you're in this room because he found you. And he put us together on this day for me to call you a knucklehead to get your attention. You want to live a full life, not filled with anxiety, worry, stress, and guilt, but a life full of grace, healing, hope, and provision? Get a fresh vision of Jesus. Look to scripture and find the good shepherd and say, God, will you be that for me in 2016? 
God, will you lead me this year and lead my family? Lord, will you provide for me? God, if it's a job, great, I'll take it. But Lord, if it's a miracle, I want that as well. In fact, we'll just, we'll pray for both, God. Maybe you need healing in this place. Maybe your family's gone through a rough patch. There's been infidelity. Maybe there's been a massive financial shift in your family. It's created all of this turmoil. Let me tell you something. Don't give up. Lean in and go, Jesus, give me a fresh vision of you as the healer. Lead me beside still waters. Restore my soul. He'll provide for you. He'll protect you. He'll heal you. And he'll guide you. Would you stand to your feet? I just am so convinced, I'm as confident of this as anything in my life, that a full life begins with a fresh vision of Jesus. Man, if you're in this room and you're looking for 2016 to be different, you're looking for 2016 to be a time of leadership and provision and healing, whatever it may be, if that's you, I just simply want to pray for you today. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand because I just think, man, the gospel demands a response. It doesn't mean that I'm a great preacher or you're a bad person. It means we all agree Jesus is the one we need the most. So if that's you and you're like, man, Chris, pray for me today. I want a fresh vision of Jesus. I want this in my life and in my family. If that's you, just lift your hand where you are and I want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's pray right now. Father, we love you. Lord, and we're a humble group of people that know without you we're nothing. And Lord, in this moment, I simply pray today, let 2016 be an amazing year of growth and development in you. Lord, let us know you like we've never known you before. God, let us allow you to lead our homes, our families, and our lives. Lord, we lean into you to protect us, God, from the enemy. Lord, we lean into you to provide for us and to heal us. Lord, today, give us a fresh vision of who who you are and who your son Jesus is and God will serve you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength Lord we love you and we thank you for this in the precious name of Jesus and everybody said amen hey we love you at Victory Church have a wonderful week don't forget to pray for those Clemson Tigers